0: movie hall of fame class of d a penny baker for friday march 24th 2023 and there he is across the table from me the ross perot to my bill clinton it's adam hall okay running third party fucking (laughs) with me uh this is a topic that i wanted to do for documentary month on why is this a thing we're doing documentaries all month long we did american movie this past week We did uh, the movie Crumb. We did uh, a movie from 2018 called The Raft. And I figured let's do a little cross promotion here. Okay, I see. see. Let's cross over to the other uh, podcast on uh, Too Many Thoughts and talk about some documentaries on here. And D.A. Pennybaker was the name that I went to. You had not seen any of these movies, right? Not
1: not a single one. I'd seen lots of clips from them just over the years because, like, how could you not? Right. Uh, Yeah,
0: Hendrix burning the guitar or whatever. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, the... A subterranean homesick blues uh music video. Sure. Everyone knows that. Yes, the key so, cards. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of like stuff that kind of pops up every once in a while. It's one of those guys where it's like, Oh, I knew I knew more of his stuff than I thought I did. Even some of the James Carville clips and stuff like that Uh, and and old george stephanopoulos yes those crazy cats with Uh, that mop top dude oh boy with that 1992 mop top what a time man what a time Uh, that was interesting (laughs) i would love to have just i would have loved to have been d.a penny baker just filming away in these in these rooms like god what a treasure trove of stuff this guy found
0: yeah, he died a couple years ago, Penny Baker, yeah. and um, I saw an interview with him in prep for this podcast, just being like, you know, I'm, I'm in my 90s now, and I just feel fucking lucky. And that's the thing about yeah. filmmakers. You know, I was thinking about... My favorite documentarians. I was thinking, like, is Penny Baker my favorite documentarian? And he's probably, if I had to pick one, I mean, you could say Earl Morris is better. You could say Michael Moore is more important, right? You could- Who gives a shit about Michael Moore? Yeah, you could say, <laughs> you know, Ken Burns has an effect named after him, whatever. Um, but Penny Baker's my guy. And, you know, his movies are not necessarily innovative from a filmmaking perspective he's not doing a ton behind the camera like he's not doing as much as say like Werner Herzog is doing on an artistic and creative level in, in his documentaries but the guy was just at the right place at the right time and and it's one of those things where it's like, you know, at a certain point you make your own luck. I think that's what it is. He's certainly really, really talented at just being where he
1: needs to be. He's just
0: in the right spot. Yeah. You know?
1: And that's, I don't think that's really a coincidence. I think the guy had his fingers on the pulse of society in a way that I think few documentarians ever do.
0: Yeah. Well, I think part of it too is that he was there creating the culture. Like he wasn't just like <laughs> yes, responding but... to it or stumbling through it like Forrest Gump, right? Like true, true, true. He was inventing it. the modern concert film. He was inventing the modern yeah. rock doc- He was inventing the cinema verite political documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether he knew it or not, too, is the thing. You know? So, like, part of it, it's like, yeah, he was at the right place at the right time. He was able to capture, like, the 1960s zeitgeist, the Mm. countercultural movement. Just because he was there... You know, but also like he is part of the reason why we still think of, you know, Monterey pop as a seminal cultural moment. You know, he's uh, part of the reason why we think of company as this great, not just theatrical achievement, but musical achievement. And he, he always kind of felt or at least when I watched these interviews with him. It seemed like he was aware of that, that he was cognizant of the fact that, yeah, like, I got hooked up with Bob Dylan. Like, Bob Dylan's agent called me and was like, do you want to follow him around in the 1965 England tour, like, at the peak of his powers? It's like, what luck? Yeah, I know. What luck?
1: Time of Don't Look Back, was he like super well known? How do you get hooked up with Bob Dylan like that?
0: Yeah, that was kind of his big break. You know, he had been working on other documentaries as like assistant directors and as a camera person. You know, he worked on this documentary in 1960 called Primary. He worked under this guy, Robert Drew, who was a journalist. And that movie is about the 1960 election with JFK and Hubert Humphrey. And so he followed those campaigns around and then eventually started his own production company. I see. But yeah, no, the Dylan thing is weird. The, the, he, he just kind of got a call. It's like, oh, yeah, you make documentaries. Do you want to follow <laughs> the most important <laughs> pop artist of the world? Yeah, you know, so. it's sort of random, but like awesome. I wish I was that lucky. <laughs> right. So Dylan just calls you and Dylan at the time, too. Like it's it's at a very specific moment in his career. And we're going to talk about that when we talk about Don't Look Back. But he's young enough where he doesn't. He's not perfectly calibrating every element of his persona yet. Oh, Dylan. Yes. Yeah. He's young enough where he's like, yeah, oh, fine. You can just let him yeah. follow you around. Yeah. I, I saw an interview with Dylan. Also in preparation for this where, you know, he talked about Albert Grossman as his agent putting it together and he's like, yeah, that was more Grossman's thing than my thing. I just trusted that he knew what he was doing and I <laughs> wasn't bothered by the camera at a certain <laughs> point. That would never happen to the Dylan of never mind 2023, but the Dylan of 1975. Yep. You know. <laughs> So, he's there at the moment where Dylan is his most vulnerable, right? Yeah, I was going to say. The most open. So, it's not just that he's paired with Dylan. It's that he's paired with Dylan at this time.
1: Yeah, otherwise it never would have happened. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was was wondering, I was like, isn't Dylan kind of known for being a little more like reserved and reclusive with this kind of stuff? Yes. It is not the kind of guy that grants interviews easily. No. He does not want to be shown except for when he's on stage most of the time.
0: So, when I saw Dylan in, what was this, summer of 2017, Like, you talk about him only expressing himself on stage. Even when he's on stage, he doesn't talk to the audience anymore. Like, he just, he comes out and sings the songs and then leaves. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't even do an encore. He, like, (laughs) he kind of just, he motions at his band to signal you to give them a round of applause. But he doesn't, like, say, like, on the keys, so-and-so, and and on the drums. Like, at this point, he is so careful about what he reveals with his words, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, he's very sparing about what commercials he does. What, you know, what 60 Minutes pieces he does. Like, he does very few interviews anymore. He does very few, like, talk shows anymore. I guess we should just segue right now into... Yeah, into sure, Don't look sure, back. But I I think part of that is this, um, this fear that I guess was etched into him in the 60s where everyone wants a piece of him. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants something from him. And this movie, in many ways is about the transactional relationships in his life. Yeah, I was
1: fascinated by it because I didn't know what to quite expect when getting into it. I wasn't sure if it was going to be a concert film or if it was just slice of life with Dylan as he's touring. And it really was interesting how much conflict is in this actual documentary. And it's primarily just through people like just wanting to talk to Dylan. Yeah, And his very like, God, this would drive me fucking nuts if I was a journalist. Just (laughs) the answering a question with another question I'm just like what am I even doing here you know it's just
0: constant he's such a prick in this such movie. an asshole yeah.
1: wonderful guy like like just to watch I mean it's just really entertaining yeah. stuff but yeah. like holy shit it was it's the type of stuff that can give you anxiety if you're expecting to like get something out of the man you know if yeah. you're expecting if like as a viewer you're watching Dylan expecting him to say something snappy and awesome and he's just like well, what does it mean to ask that question, man? Right. Like, like, what do you do? What makes you happy, man? And I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck what are you talking about? It's just a lot of that. And what, what I didn't expect, like like we already alluded to, was how the vulnerability sort of pops out of just random occurrences sometimes. Like, I don't know how aware of it Dylan was, but like, and just the scenes where like Donovan is doing his number and it's like, oh my God. yeah, all well and good. Now let me take over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like... And I like Donovan,
0: but, like, what the... It was just... Yeah, like, Donovan has done a lot of good music. And, and after that particular moment, like, maybe uh, triggered by that particular moment, he did do some really transcendent stuff. But it's like, he performs that really nice song. And, and Dylan's <laughs> like, yeah, that's a sweet song, man. And he's like, how about this? <laughs> exactly. And then just sings It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's oh. why you're the greatest of all yeah. time.
1: And it's like, did he? Did, was he aware? Was he just... Did did he know he was going to rub it in his face or was I don't know. He, was he just jamming? I think so. No. I don't know.
0: I don't know. Is he- Is he- Maybe not consciously, but- yeah, I think he was trying to stick it to him. Maybe. I think he was trying to rub it in. Maybe that because that was I was like Jesus
1: Christ! Like in a second, it it reminded me of the <laughs> it's, a, it's an odd comparison. I know you're not going to like this, but there's that scene in the movie uh, Yesterday where Ed Sheeran is trying to make a good song. Yeah, and the, the worst scene in the awful I know. movie. But, but it's yeah. the same idea, but right. like more literalized. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so this is so that was really really fascinating to watch, like actually happen in front of me. Yeah, I just love like learning about this guy's weird idios syncrasies like the fucking glass Bottle sequence it's Incredible like,
0: another thing that would Never exist in a Bob Dylan documentary today
1: Because I was watching it and I'm like "What? what Is he actually complaining about yeah And then when it's revealed I just don't want Anyone to get hurt by the glass man I'm like That's what you're yelling about someone's <laughs> Going to walk out in the street with their shoes on And step on glass right. what Are you talking about um it Is Phenomenal this documentary
0: It's it's Legitimately it, one of my Favorite movies of all time This it, movie yeah.
1: It might be one of my Favorite movies of all time It's an unbelievable movie It's, it's Marvelous yeah. <laughs> It is Indescribably good Yeah God, the luck of Penny Baker here, just being at the right place, right time. But I do have to commend him on this, and it carries through with all the documentaries, is that, mm-hmm. like, you know, I think that with with a lot of documentaries, there is a conscious effort to break the fourth wall. and like, mm-hmm. you're never quite... You know, you're always kind of aware that you're watching someone filming other people. But mm-hmm. it's almost as if Penny Baker says, don't ever, ever, ever acknowledge the camera. I'm just there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just filming. Just be- I don't know how
0: he does it. Yeah. I don't know. Because yeah. his cameras are so invasive in exactly. his movies, too. Like, <laughs> exactly. that's the thing about it. It's that they're right next to you. The war room that struck me. Yeah, it's like exactly. They get close <laughs> yeah. to, uh, you know, to Stephanopoulos making the phone call or whatever. And yeah, I don't know if it's just the amount of footage that he films or... The fact that he doesn't talk that much, but eventually it feels like yeah, the facade just breaks down, and and people are just their natural selves. Now we know that's not true, and there are moments in there where you know people are hamming it up for the camera, but yeah, it, it is the closest thing you're going to get to a time machine. Yeah, um, exactly. Are are these movies? Yeah, completely
1: yeah. immersive in that way, which I was not expecting. Yeah, uh, love, and for for that alone, like there's two that are maybe my favorites ever. Yeah. One of them we're talking about now. There's another one though that's probably not what you would expect to be my favorite though. Interesting. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, I love all five of these
0: movies. Yeah, yeah, they're they're all they're, they're they're quite good. Here's the thing about Petty Baker though. Yes. <laughs> like what a troublemaker this guy. Like this dude always poking and prodding and Casting his characters, not necessarily in a negative light, but kind of, you know, challenging them and challenging their persona. The movie is very loathsome of Dylan. You know, the movie, like. Oh, it doesn't paint him in a fine light. No. No, it doesn't pull punches. And again, that's because it's the 60s and Dylan really didn't know better. And these things are not sort of authorized. In the way that a lot of like the Taylor Swift rock docs are now, or whatever. Murphy sucks. You still need to watch it, but it does suck. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love how he is simultaneously demythologizing Dylan in every scene at every turn. While inadvertently kind of creating that mythology. Oh yeah, you know, so it's like um, that that scene. Uh, it's not the Time interview, but it's the interview he does with the BBC in the first half hour of this thing, mm. where this radio host gives this very long-winded introduction and lead up to a question. You know, and he's talking about how you know Dylan is considered one of the great songwriters of his generation, and you know how his songs sort of speak to a particular feeling in the zeitgeist. And it's this long winded thing. It's like two minute monologue just introducing Dylan and Dylan just sort of sitting there smoking a cigarette being like, all right, man, I'll answer your questions or whatever. And it's this wind up, wind up, wind up. And the guy is just waxing poetic. And the moment the guy asks Dylan, what do you think about that? Penny Baker cuts like he's so uninterested in <laughs> Dylan's answer you know and <laughs> yeah. Dylan is not afraid of like talking about himself or you know uh, b- being uh, uh, adversarial with journalists or whatever like this is a guy that can spit a mad monologue there's no one better at it than him perhaps uh, but Penny Baker just doesn't give a fuck Maybe, he's like yeah, I am that. interested purely in the culture's relationship to this guy how predatory The media is with him, what they want out of him. He's not even interested in the musical performances half the no, time.
1: No, I right? noticed that too. Like where every time he goes on stage, he's like, he starts with the times they are changing, and I'm, and he's, it's, it's like kind of up tempo. It's almost yeah. like okay, okay, get, get, get. He's fucking bored. bored. Yeah, yeah, he's bored of the song, song by now. Done. Yeah, he's yeah. only
0: been doing it for like two years or whatever, but he's already sick of it. He's ready to move on. Oh, he's already sung
1: that thing like a thousand times. Right. Yeah. He just wants to get onto the good stuff. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I love that song, but you
0: know what I mean. Yeah. He <laughs> wants to do a I'm mom, mom only bleeding or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Like he wants to get to Highway 61. And, <laughs> yep, yep, and yep. So he's right. And Penny Baker is also. Kind of bored So like He shows the performance From the back Holy shit The mic cut out We can't even hear him no, that was There's this great, struggle To get the mic
1: fixed Great great little Like beautiful imperfections And he keeps singing Like Dylan's aware Like
0: yeah I know They can't hear me But I'm still going Right <laughs> Yeah they, they show him Like switching out yep. harmonicas. So oh, this harmonica Doesn't sound right Or whatever Like that's the shit Penny Baker's interested in, just breaking down this artifice, you know? Like, he wants to show you the ugly moments. He wants to show you a bunch of drunk guys in a hotel. Oh, yeah. Uh, as as the, you know, concierge comes up to complain or whatever, and and Alan Grossman curses him out. Like. Oh, that was a great, jeez Louise, great stuff, great stuff. <laughs> but you,
1: get, you sort of understand, like, I guess for his time, the sort of punk sensibilities. That, I mean, he's not a punk in the way that punks were in the 70s and 80s or anything like sure. that, but just like relative to that form of society, Bob Dylan is just kind of this guy who's causing trouble, mm-hmm. but people still... An anarchist. Him. And as, an, yeah. As I, the final line of the movie. Exactly. So yeah. An anarchist. Get yeah. the anarchist a cigarette. But it's funny you mentioned the, the cut that Penny Baker does. You do kind of get the sense that that is a decision that Dylan would have enjoyed. Yeah. Just watching the movie like, yeah, I didn't give a fuck about the questions this guy was asking me. Right. I, I want to I get on with it. Yeah, but Dylan yeah, also...
0: I Wants you to know that he doesn't give a fuck about the questions, so and that actually says more about him, yeah, <laughs> you know, than simply answering the question in kind of a dismissive way. Like yeah. he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why there's this one line that he says to the Time journalist, and this is probably the most uh, famous scene in the movie, where it's like six minutes of him just getting in a fight with this guy, saying how unimportant he is and how meaningless his job is or whatever. Uh, And at one point he says, like, yeah, my songs don't really mean anything. I'm not going for this greater message. I just write them. And it's like, I know that's a lie. (laughs) Like, I know that like there is no one more particular about their image and about their subtext in the history of music than Bob Dylan. (laughs) Um, All of this is a performance. He just doesn't fucking know it yet. Uh, And that was the fascinating thing about this. Like um, in the 2000s. Dylan decided that he was going to like he did like a whole um, record actually multiple records of jazz standards Mm -hmm. like old Sinatra standards when I actually when I saw him live he mostly did like these old standards he did very few of his actual hits and one of the complaints has been like you know Dylan's not a vocalist like he's not like a coverer of music he's not an interpreter right like why are you doing all of these covers like why do you fancy yourself such a great vocalist and even then in the 60s. In that scene with the time reporter, he's oh, like, yeah. he's like, you know, I can sing just as good as uh, Caruso, talking about the old uh, Italian opera singer or whatever. The guy like, eh, well, that's where I can hit all those notes. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny that yeah. that idea was in his head; like he still fancied himself a singer. I thought that was so fucking funny. It really does feel like. I guess you could say
1: the naive version, like the pilot episode of of yeah. Dylan. But this is my favorite era of Dylan, frankly. Yeah. Uh, I, I I love basically everything about this persona. But it is interesting that, like, you see all the elements kind of working and playing, and they're just about to lock into place until we get what we know of him, like a, like five plus years later. Right. So...
0: Penny Baker also inadvertently creates the music video in this with
1: yeah, the opening. I didn't realize. I was like, oh, this is where that shit comes from. So, yeah, that's the <laughs> other thing. talking was-
0: about getting lucky. But uh, Penny Baker gave uh, Dylan a bunch of cute cards and... He's flipping through the lyrics of subterranean homesick blues. And his li- but like every few words are on the card and sometimes <laughs> like the words are misspelled. Yeah. You know, like there's that. Um, I'm trying to think of an example, but like, uh, you know, uh, don't follow leaders. Check your parking meters and parking is spelled like P.A.W.K. <laughs> ing and meanwhile alan Ginsberg is in the background he's just was, hanging that's out the in the, the bag of the show. it's, it's <laughs> such a weird video and i'm sure you've you've seen the the sequence or at least you've seen the sequence referenced before but uh, a lot of people consider that to be the first ever music video okay. so he's inventing the concept of a music video here he's inventing the concept of the cinema verite music documentary and he's also incredibly responsible for what we now understand as the dylan persona you know but so much of it was formed that like Mm -hmm, mm anti-establishment anarchist persona in this the hard edge dylan um is this movie but he's not that hard edge is the thing um yeah and listen there have been great dylan documentaries um the scorsese one is tremendous but that's more like biographical or whatever and he uses some of penny baker's footage in that too this is the closest you're gonna get to unbridled uncut It's pure. It's the
1: most pure thing. I I, I mean, a lot of these feel completely and utterly pure and honest. And again, it's just amazing that Penny Baker's allowed to do this. That Mm -hmm. was the real thing I kept because you just don't see any documentaries like this. Like, could you imagine if there was a Taylor Swift documentary like this? She would never, (laughs) never allow it. I mean, (laughs) but that's the thing. It's like, I want to see the messiness. I want to see the rough around the edges qualities. I want to view you as a person, you know, Mm -hmm. that seems like an impossibility with Bob Dylan. Dylan, but no, here it is. I love it. This is a great movie. <laughs> it's an a, amazing document. Strangely immersive. Yep. Really does make you feel like you're just hanging out in these rooms with Dylan. Mm-hmm. What beautiful personalities and, yep. and fun, per, funny personalities too sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's my next Criterion purchase, damn it. Hell yeah! Fuck yeah, here we go. I
0: should <laughs> mention a lot of these movies are streaming on the Criterion channel with loads and loads of bonus features. All of them. Um. So... Do yourself a favor if you want to watch some of these for the first time, like the Monterey Pop special features. There are so many outtakes. There's a whole. Oh, I'm sure. There's a whole film that's just the Hendrix performance. There's a whole film that's just the Otis Redding performance. (laughs) It's all available in Criterion. Um, So, yeah, check those out. Monterey pop 1968 a year later but a year before Woodstock it's shorter than Woodstock it's uh, a little more frenetic than Woodstock as a film Um, there are less interludes with the crowd Um, there is less like sort of idle moments like there are in Woodstock and it is considered I think like the less iconic show so a lot of times people forget about this even though it came first yeah my hot take is I think Monterey pop is a better movie than Woodstock Maybe. Just because of how messy all of these performances are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way that it's not, you know, Woodstock kind of, it sort of lulls you in, and there's so many shots of, like, kids frolicking in the fields or whatever, and... This one is like, no, nah, we're just going to fucking go in with the Mamas and Papas, and then we're going to cut to Simon and Garfunkel doing a you know understated ballad, and then, boom, we're going to hit you with Hendrix lighting a guitar on fire, and then we're going to go to Otis Redding, and then we're going to go back to the Mamas and Papas, and then we're yeah. fucking done. Yeah, it's this little- movie is so aware of your attention span, you know, <laughs> <laughs> in a well, way that Woodstock
1: isn't. I love the Woodstock documentary a lot, I'm not sure if I like this more than that, but it's. Pretty damn good for those reasons you just listed. It's just frenetic and nonstop. Woodstock's like four hours long. It's a totally different beast. Uh, This one is just trying to give you like a shot in the arm of what this was really like. Because it kind of knows like you can't completely show the entire thing exactly as it was, which is kind of what Woodstock is doing. Whereas this is like give you the essence of everything that that moment was and let the audience take something away with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's really good. I love it. I love it. It's another great movie, and it, it climaxes perfectly with that Ravi Shankar bit. And
0: I was like, <laughs> yeah. "Holy! What shit. What a stroke of genius!" Yep. They and weren't even supposed to film that moment. Why? I, I don't think Petty Baker knew who Ravi Shankar was, oh. and it wasn't like a performance that was high on their you know priorities list in terms of coverage. Jeez. And I think they ended up performing one song, and the audience was like super into it, as you can see in the movie. Like they were just transfixed. And he's like, oh, we better get out here and record this next one. And yeah, it's like this 10-minute instrumental. Yep. And I don't know what order they cut it in, but the movie implies that that's the final performance of the festival. It's not. Everything's out of order. But they set it up by showing you these like pictures of like stoned, exhausted, mm. strung-out hippies. Yep just ready to fucking go home. You know, like that's how they, cause you've just seen total. You have seen a Hendrix performance. Like you will never see in your entire life. Like you, you see a rock <laughs> yeah. performance that is as crazy and unhinged as a person could have dreamt up in the late sixties. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, dude, great, but I'm fucking done. You're tired. Yeah. And then they show, so they show you that mm-hmm. they show you just everyone just being like, can we fucking go home now? And then they show you Shankar, Do this 10-minute transcendent instrumental thing on his sitar and thunderous applause at the end. I love how the thing builds, you know? Mm -hmm. It tells its own story. Yes, exactly Exactly right.
1: in In a very, very, very beautiful way. Again, in a way that kind of like... I. I, I wish I could I was better at describing this but like uh, it, Woodstock had a similar thing where it's just like there's this semblance of like coming back from the war but in, in like in a good way it's like uh-huh. like I'm I'm coming back from the battlefield and I've had an experience but instead of being a negative experience it's like it's this th- this amazing thing that I'll never ever forget and I'm just glad I was there and now it's gone yeah it, it's it's just beautifully realized here at the end and it just sends you off with that in such a a kind of transcendent way like you said and what a perfect compressed journey this movie really is. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that this is pre Woodstock is pretty fascinating to me just cause I actually was not aware of that until I, I looked it up mm-hmm. and I found that hard to believe <laughs> right. considering how amazing the show is. Yeah. It's like, I should know about this, but I don't, I should know that this is Janis Joplin's
0: breakout moment. Yeah. Uh, and Hendrix is too. This is yeah. like his, the experience. This is their first, uh, major American performance. I think really, Okay, yeah. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Right, (laughs) yeah. But you get it I love it when the movie Doesn't outright tell you These things It's just like That's one of the Most iconic performance ever Isn't it And sure enough it is Same sure. with Janis Joplin That's the most iconic performance One of the most iconic performances It's a ever. crazy
0: performance too
1: And it is Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's just She like, is possessed uh, okay. In that <laughs> <Yeah>. performance <laughs> It's like of course She takes off <laughs> yeah. It's like Oh I get it It's And it made you feel like You were a part of it And that's the best thing I could say about Most of these documentaries Yeah That's such an impossible Thing to do by the way Because I think a lot of Documentarians generally want you to feel like you're a part of a certain moment mm-hmm. but they kind of do but not really well, there's even, a
0: distance to a lot of these always, things yeah but it's the way that he shoots it exactly and I right. should mention by the way that most of these movies are not just Penny Baker joints like he had a production company with a lot of trusted camera people and they shot most of these movies together and they are as responsible for the Penny Baker phenomenon the cinema verite thing as as he is but <laughs> the way they shoot this thing on stage oh yeah impossible to understate how innovative that was for concert films at the time. There really weren't concert films like this. You know, there were some performances that, you know, were very formal and just like did the job of shooting and documenting the moment. It's like TV lighting yes. stuff. I,
1: I always go back to like the way you would see like the Beatles and, and, and their shows. Sure, Right. That. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's, it's what they were
0: able to, yeah, they I guess were allowed this to do was at the time. After the rooftop, concert wait when was the oh is it was that 68 Mm. that's a own thing though because that was like so impromptu or whatever but um yeah i think most of them were you know the cameras were not handheld they were fixed at a certain location and three cameras usually or like
1: a camera for each person but it doesn't really move it's
0: they were rarely on stage right they were rarely on stage with the axe and here like you know they they were Right there with Joplin, just like <laughs> yeah. taking a shot of her foot. You know, like because right, yeah. her feet were like she performed with her feet was the thing. And Penny Baker was so interested in just like the looking de- at her feet. Yeah, the details here, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think about the shot too of um, of Otis Redding from behind. With the spotlight oh, backlighting right in front him, of him, yeah, and they hang on that shot for like the majority of the performance. It's very like
1: godlike in that right. way. Yeah. yeah, I almost wish there was more of the Otis Redding performance. Than... Oh my god, yeah,
0: I loved. He was so this. good. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, talk like about the Hendrix thing. Oh, the, the yeah. Talk about rock and roll.
1: You know, this is the problem with these fucking guys is that it's like, how are you supposed to? Get any better than that This guy's having sex With his amp At one point Sex with his amp He's humping his, Like he's giving like uh, Oral sex to his guitar Before he like he's douses talking, it with kerosene He's riding his guitar At one point and He's doing He's doing the finger motion yes. <laughs> like, oh <my> God.
0: <laughs> Yeah Then he lights it on fire Smashes it Throws the handle Into the crowd Lights it on fire he he! at one point plays the guitar behind, behind his, his back, back. like God damn, and better guy. than like most people could do in front of their bodies. <laughs> Like I'm just like, all right. Meanwhile, he is 24 years old. Uh-huh. This is his first, you know, uh, major performance and he dies three years later. Mm-hmm. Like just to give you a sense of what rock and roll is like and if there's any doubt that this guy's the goat, it's like. He did that. He died three years later, and we're still talking about him today. That's true. You Are know? you really
1: a rock star, a, a great rock star? If you don't die young, yeah, right. <laughs> That's terrible, but but it, that is part of the persona. It's part of the the story, isn't it? Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I only got a couple months left to uh, outlive Hendrix. You've outlived. Him, I right, have. Right? Uh, I have successfully
1: outlived Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Cobain,
0: Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Yeah. Morrison. Right.
1: You okay? Anton Yelchin.
0: Oh, he was forever twenty-seven too, huh?
1: Think about that. Anton Yelchin was only twenty. That pisses me off. Sure does. Um, wow.
0: Yeah, I only got a couple months left. You're not gonna make it. Not gonna. Work. <laughs> I mean, sick. Honestly,
1: <laughs> Nico's part of the twenty-seven club. Yeah, fucking metal, dude. What did you play? <laughs>
0: Trumpet. <laughs> Poorly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I
0: peaked in the fifth grade.
1: Yeah. No. I, the other thing I love the amount of time and attention it just it gives to just the people. Like Cass Elliott. Yeah, Mom wa- Cass, yeah. Watching Janice Joplin perform, just those little interstitials, just in like a Spielberg awe moment. Like, wow. And she's literally, you can literally hear her mouth like, wow. I can't believe what I just watched. The fact that she's saying that.
0: Yeah, how many times do you see the other artists at the festival hang out and watch? You know, the performances like was, uh, they like actually it. cut to Hendrix in the crowd at one point. I was so surprised to see that. Yeah. Mama <laughs> cast. They, they cut to quite a bit. Um, that's the other thing. Like what's so interesting about this festival is it was at a time where the music industry was collaborative and mm. there was it was yeah. supportive of one another. And it was like this very specific moment in time. Right. Like it was the summer love. A lot of hippies in this. By the way, I'm like terrified of hippies now terrified Yeah, I think ever since once upon a time in Hollywood I see a hippie and like I'm, I'm scared of them what are you worried they're gonna do to you I don't know just uh, murder me and Nico, my, my get, pregnant wife <laughs> Nico, I've told you this before you're not that important
1: right. you're just not Rick Dalton is important that's, you know this Rick fucking Dalton
0: <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's incredible concert footage and like, yes, abc wouldn't air it at the time because it was so controversial and edgy because yeah. of the yeah. hendrix thing but mm-hmm. it is once again a time capsule of an incredible moment of rock music and still just really fucking entertaining i mean i it's the
1: least important thing about this because i think like there's a lot more going on here about the importance and what they meant to society but it's it, impossible to overstate how entertaining some of these movies really are. They are okay. so smooth. Yes. They go down so fucking yes. smooth. Yes, things. yes. The last one on this list in particular. They're so
0: breezy. Mm-hmm. And they're short. That's the That's thing. The other, they're yeah. short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how many of these documentaries are like five hours? Like, listen, I loved Get Back or whatever, but so many of these documentaries are five hours long. We got to show you more and more, more and more. And Penny Baker's like, <laughs> now let's just, I'll show you just the chorus of the song and then we're done. Like, I won't even show you the whole song. Mm-hmm.
1: To the girls who stay smart, aren't they a guest rushing to their classes in optical art,
0: wishing it would pass another long exhausting day, another thigh. Original cast album Company is from 1970. Stephen Sondheim's musical Company opened on Broadway in the spring of 70 and tradition dictates that the cast recording is done on the first Sunday after opening night. D.A. Pennybaker, the now legendary documentarian, filmed the production of the original cast recording, the back and forth between Sondheim and the performers, and the dynamic of trying to record a live performance. Mm. This is a documentary that was as it's mentioned in the opening title card initially supposed to be a pilot they were gonna film a bunch of broadway recordings and they did this one and the studio never called back about a second one and so they released it as a movie i think it had kind of been forgotten to time until a few years ago documentary now ends up doing a spoof of it by the way documentary now also did a, a war room spoof and i'm dying to to watch oh, that really? one yeah yeah And then it got a Criterion release. The Criterion channel put up this movie. And I think in the last few years, it's kind of regained its cult status or whatever. And it is another, mo- like, I'm just going to keep saying this with every movie. I mean, he's my favorite documentarian, so I think I'm allowed to say this. Uh, it's fucking incredible. Like, this footage is amazing. Uh, the, Man, it's,
1: don't look back, this one, easily my second favorite. Yeah. Of lunch. Yeah. Yeah, I love this movie so much that I was, I was like dying to show it to Abby. Yeah. And we're, we're, we still plan on watching. I'm just like, this is just absolutely enthralling. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. So fun. It's so funny. Crushing, exhausting. Yeah insightful yep. just the personalities that are jam-packed into this room it's like everything the smoking you could possibly want the smoking the, so many cigarettes it's like and then just wa- watching the, the differences between like the actors and then steven sondheim's like angry smugness Yeah, but he's also very gentle So too. gentle d- just brilliant you know just by yeah. like, the way he talks this is the smartest guy that they've ever come into contact with yeah Oh um, man this thing is just delightful i i, I mean what it has to say about like the theater industry and the sort of the rigor that these actors go through and how insane they are to put up with this type of work ethic in the way that they do, particularly that last actress at
0: the end. Like, Elaine God, Stritch. Elaine Stritch. Jesus Christ. What a trooper. Yeah, the, the, that's kind of the the heart of the movie there is yeah. that one extended scene. Wrong Let's talk about Stretch Oh my god So what? we should mention This movie is filmed in a day <laughs>
1: They know. filmed this movie in a day Yes and I'm sure They were beat to shit By the end of this thing Is I don't know
0: Why you would want to do this Right <laughs> But
1: it, it's worth it In the
0: end They bring in a whole orchestra It's very expensive To not only have the musicians For the day But to rent the studio space For a day Sondheim's in the room mm-hmm. the, the producer Thomas Shepard The record producer Is in the room and he's another incredible character, by the way. That was a great take. I'd like you to come in here and listen yeah. to it. it I love when he, when he goes, that when they're in the diner, like it, it, for lunch or whatever, and he mm-hmm. comes up to them and he's like, uh, hey guys, just want to let you know, we're probably going to be recording till four in the morning. <laughs> I know. Sorry, <it's- laughs> <It's like>, what? <laughs> Yeah he's just Like this old school 70s music producer Like the Stereotypical guy I just know like Smoking on a cigarette Like that Slicked back hairdo Or whatever Again another Just like cliche Yeah
1: But a living cliche Just so fascinating That these people exist And then Sonheim Just like God these This fucking process man. Right You can tell he's like he's He loves his actors More than anything Yeah He loves his singers More than anything And he sees That th- was an A A couple
0: months ago Now it's a B flat like,
1: He's it's just like, on one note He's like, arping on it Yeah could you just sing it One more time
0: There it is There, there it is There, yeah. there it is yeah. About, It's not It's not boopy It's or It's not booby It's bubby <laughs> like, oh, boobie go, boobie It boobie. was goody Yeah so no it was It was
1: good Yeah booby uh, so, uh, No 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 You gotta say it's, uh, Say goody Goody Okay now say booby
0: Bubby No 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 It's, it's, <laughs> it's booby It's that Coen Brothers scene It's, it's Hail Caesar Yeah <laughs> It was so simple You know It's that <laughs> and he's doing it with every note and he is very gentle he's yeah. a gentle soul you can tell oh like, yeah he's very good at speaking to his actors and he's trying to get the best out of them but he is also a control freak he is oh, yeah. obsessive with his craft and yeah, he's also a little resentful too like there's that one aside that talking head interview where he's like I, uh, I did the lyrics for West Side Story for a paycheck, but like, I'm not just a lyricist. I'm a musician, right? Like, that's where he trained. Yeah, trained as a musician. Right. And he, he's kind of resentful about how the industry kind of pigeonholed him into being a lyricist. And like, this is his. Big breakout musical or whatever, and he's very protective of every word. You I know, mean, he comes off like Kubrick in a lot of instances. Yes. Yeah, yeah, to, but a, a gentler, like he much was, gentler Kubrick. You know, he would not have played the tricks on Elaine Stritch, like in The Shining or whatever. I mean, he's
1: still somewhat intimidated. There's, there's a sense that if you say anything that goes against his vision or his the what he wants out of his lyrics, that he could just like walk away. You know, you know those attitudes where it's like you're trying to talk to them, and then like mid sentence, they just stop listening to you and they go. The other way yeah it almost sounds like he could do that sure. to his actors like I'm done listening to your shit Yeah I'm out of here right.
0: <laughs> Yeah it, well it's apparent to me That many of those actors if not all of Them were actively trying to impress Him they love him yes and you could Tell they're constantly saying Steve and they're touching His shoulder like I, I got this Steve I can do this Yeah yeah sure so the Elaine Stritch Thing so, <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> you know we have Been sitting there the entire day and It's interesting in the opening credit scroll Penny Baker puts in there like we were worried at first about putting the cameras in the recording studio. Because kind they're of noisy. And then we reviewed the footage and we were shocked at what we had here. What were mediocre takes in the room ended up being the most compelling pieces of theater. Like as compelling as watching the show on a Broadway stage. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Penny Baker does the same thing he does in Don't Look Back. Um, the same thing he does in in Monterey Pop and also the same thing that he's going to do in the rest of his documentaries is he shows you the imperfect takes. You know, He shows you the ones that are not the 10 out of 10 gymnastics routine. He's trying to break you down, right? He's trying to break down the actors. He's trying to break down the audience. And so the Elaine Stritch thing, she does the number... um, ah, I forget the song. Um, I'm not a big Broadway guy, and I have not seen Company, but I need to fucking see Company if there's another Broadway revival at some point. Uh, the ladies who lunch The late. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So she does this performance and this is, you know, a legendary Broadway actor or whatever. And she's belting her fucking lungs out. Just, and she's exhausted. And it's incredible. And I'm like, yeah. watching it. I'm like, it's incredible. And then we stop, we cut to Thomas Shepard. And he goes, it's a bit flaccid, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? That's flaccid. <laughs> like, and the fucking Penny Baker, that motherfucker. Shows the performance over and over again and you start hearing what Shepard's hearing, you know, you start to hear it. It's like, oh, yeah, she is a little horse. Here. You get it. Yeah, she's shouting it. She's not singing it. It's not the perfect take. And so when they eventually show you the perfect take the second day, you feel like you've been in the recording studio with Sondheim yeah, yeah, yeah. for that entire time. You know, and you understand why he's being so obsessive, but he has to show you the imperfect take, and he has to present it as though it is the definitive performance of the song. Yeah, it's a stroke of genius what he does.
1: <laughs> now, again, this is something he definitely discovered in the edit, I'm sure. Yes, just, just by reviewing the footage, like, okay, look how this story progressed here, and look how it, like, it ultimately rewards itself by getting to the best take. But one of the things that's so funny about it is that my reaction to the perfect take was like, "All right, there it is, good. Now let's go home." Right. Whereas the the struggles are so much more fascinating to watch. Right. Yeah. That that's where the, the the really interesting stuff is happening. When you know, as they say, when the sausage is being made. Right. And it seems like a great sausage. Right. And it probably is a great sausage, but not good enough for for these for these guys. Right. Um, that's kind of the movie though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They they kinda of just yada yada the final performance. I think exactly. they show you maybe like a minute of it and, and it's then it's over we're and done, done
1: with and then it cuts to credits. That's it.
0: Yeah. It's like this victorious moment, but yeah, the struggle is the thing that we're interested in. We're interested in the journey. Exactly. Um and, you know, when Elaine Stritch is yelling, Shut up to herself as she <laughs> hears the recording Shut back. Shut up. <laughs> that's the juice. Yep. You know, and that's uh, all of these movies to a certain extent. It's like it's not about capturing the perfect musical moment. It's about the, the messiness. It's about the scratches and the smudges on the, on the film stock, you know?
1: Yeah. It's, you know, it's that tension release thing in horror is like the tension is always way more compelling than the, the moment where the person actually gets stabbed or their head gets cut off or whatever. It's like, yeah, all right, it's happened and we can move on now. Whereas like, I remember when Michael Myers is coming out from Laurie Strode in the late illuminates his face mm-hmm. more so than when he actually goes for her arm sure and it's a similar you know like musical analogy here where it's just like man come on Elaine you can do it come yeah. on come on and it's just building and building and building mm-hmm. and my god is that story of her trying to get to it just so compelling yeah and you feel so sorry for her because <laughs> when they just say let's just take a break yeah. we're a little tired and we'll, we're gonna put the orchestral track on it can we do that and she just leaves the room
0: right yeah yes <laughs> yeah she's heartbroken hmm because like she's been working at this her entire life and she also has she's got that Broadway thing. She's an actor, right? It's like Oh, she, and she takes this shit seriously. She's maybe at one point she's a theater kid, but she's she knows her shit at this point. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was listening to an interview with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon the other day. Um because they have the new uh the Michael Jordan movie coming up. And Affleck talked about his struggles in the early 2000s or whatever after he made Geely. And he he talks about being an actor, you are always conditioned to assume that everything is going to fall apart for you tomorrow. Like b- because of the nature of the job where you are constantly auditioning when all of this work is for higher work. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not your standard nine to five and you're always working for someone else or trying to impress someone else. Like you are conditioned, even if you're a multimillionaire and one of the biggest stars in the world, to believe that this is all going to be taken from you tomorrow. And that is especially true on Broadway where like the work is even more scarce and the, the money is not as good. Right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there is no fallback plan for these people. Mm -hmm. And someone like Elaine Stritch, I think that's her mentality when she's recording these things. You know, it's like life or death. It's life or death. Every moment is life or death. And that's the like thrilling thing about theater, you know, is that every performance has to be perfect. You know, you can mess up at every time. You can't yell cut. You can't use a better take. Like nope. it is all right here right now and it must be
1: perfect. And the, the, the thing about Broadway too is that you're also conditioned to say that there's really no excuse because they literally do it hundreds and hundreds of times. Right. It's that idea of like, you know, you do something 10,000 times, you're a master. Well, that they literalize that on Broadway. Yeah. So, that, so to them, it's like, I cannot fuck up There's really no reason Why I should be fucking up Yeah But god What a like Dehumanizing place To put yourself in Because it really isn't her fault In this case No <laughs> There's nothing she could do no,
0: about it No everyone's tired it's, it's fucking three it's, in the morning more, Yeah <laughs> You're supposed to be in bed Yes And they've been Belting out like, <laughs> like The kind of singing They're doing They are doing Stage performing Like they're singing Show tunes right You're singing And telling a story
1: And being an actor At the same time All these It's so right. complicated And
0: they're actually acting too. Yes. Is the other thing yeah, like you have they, to. they occasionally use props. I think of the one guy holding the cigarette mm. up to his mouth as they're performing the big group number. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. I just think of that like they're actually performing and it ain't like Sondheim's songs are you know sparse in their lyrical content no. like. A lot of words, a lot of words sung at a very fast rate and very loudly.
1: One of them in particular, where she's trying to figure out when's a good time to take a breath. Right. And like you said, too, like with the performances, a lot of the times like they're throwing their arms up in the air. They're they're spinning around. They're doing all sorts of stuff. It's a workout Mm -hmm. that they're just doing and belting for 12 hours plus. Yeah. Nonstop into the night. And it's it's just amazing to see them kind of, you know. Get through it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Despite all odds. Creative process, man. That's how it goes. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to think about this movie now every time, like. I record like a three hour podcast or, or we <laughs> sometimes we'll do like back to back recording sessions and we're done with it and we get tired and we're like it's oh like, my voice hurts it's not that bad though it's like right it's like it's really come hard. off it like <laughs> you know you're talking with your buddies yeah. about D.A. Penny Baker movies See, that's the thing even with filmmaking
1: though sometimes they don't even go this hard I mean so, like, occasionally they do but generally speaking like if you have a long day that that means like we're filming till one in the morning not till the sun comes up yeah Some again sometimes you do that but no not like not, not always like this
0: right my understanding though is that actors prefer doing theater for that reason because film is very like i'm doing one take and maybe it's five seconds long and then i'm sitting around whereas theater is this like fluid thing you know that you're always living in and there's no downtime mm-hmm. and like i think sometimes the downtime and the boredom can fuck with your head more than the laborious you know nature of of theater yeah that's know? that's the case with everyone who works on film really they don't
1: They don't understand how boring it can actually be. Mm -hmm. Unless you're the DP or the director. Right. You know, where you're constantly doing something. But like, yeah, and it's not like you need an actor for every single moment. Yep. You know?
0: Um great movie.
1: (laughs) Yep. Perfect movie.
0: Talk, good born, left hand. ziggy stardust and the spiders <laughs> from mars from 1979 the july 3rd 1973 historic concert of the leper messiah <laughs> is the description for this movie this was to be david bowie's last concert with the ziggy persona and the spiders from Mars. He announces that, actually, at the end of this movie in sort of a surprise fashion before performing the song Rock and Roll Suicide, kind of ironic, or fitting, (laughs) I should say. It was filmed in 73, and it comes out in 79, and the reason why is because Penny Baker had such a hard time with the mix. The sound mix wasn't right. Like, the mics were not put on the right locations. The footage was hard to see. I mean, you look at this footage, it is glittery and like there's a lot of strobe lights and Bowie is underlit and I think also the um, the film is treated with this like special magnesium or whatever, so it's this like weird glittery effect but it's a messy movie and i think penny baker himself said like yeah like it was kind of sloppy it was not my most well-oiled machine of a production and so it took years to figure out in the edit and i think they do figure out a compelling movie i think this is actually still a really good movie mm-hmm. but yeah it's not as it's not as tight it's not as precise as the other ones
1: no and i'm not sure it's the most interesting or revealing in the way that the other 3 are mm-hmm. doesn't quite bring me to like that time and place, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the sort of, I guess you could say, sloppy in, imperfections in a way. I don't know. I think Maybe that's just an issue with like how the concert was set up, because a lot of this is very hard to film. Mm-hmm. We just got Moon Age Daydream. I didn't see that. Yeah. Covers this uh, particular performance very well, actually, but it doesn't necessarily try to put you... In the space in 1973, it's more just like the vibe. Yes, it's like, well, we're not going to be able to like put you in the crowd, so let me let's let's just give you the vibe of this particular David Bowie show, and it does it beautifully. Mm-hmm. Maybe that documentary was kind of coloring some of my feelings on this one because mm. I loved that documentary, yeah, specifically for that, like the the way that Brett Morgan is just like not so much interested in narrative; it's just give you the vibe of this person, yeah, or, or this this guy's head or whatever. And I was okay with that. And this is like clearly trying to be a concert film with with some backstage elements and and whatnot. It does a good job. It's it's still fun, and I mean, the David Bowie Persona is always compelling even, even, Yeah he's not one of my guys In the David, words
0: of Mark oh, yeah. on the WTF podcast. <laughs> I, I, I love David Bowie but he's, he's just never been One of my dudes like Dylan for me I'm A, I'm a Dylan freak he's my favorite yes, musician ever yeah. I, I've talked about him enough like it's almost Cringe at this point to say that you're a Dylan freak That's how much of a walking cliche I am yeah. But like the more I learn about Dylan the more Interested I am in him and I don't feel That way about Bowie I think there is A compellingness to his character of Ziggy Stardust on stage. He is an interesting androgynous figure and like an important figure in rock and roll. Oh yeah. And this is an innovative uh, concert and innovative documentary for that reason. Incredibly influential and like the gender bending nature of it. Yes. But like when he's backstage and he's talking to his girlfriend or partner or whatever, and he's putting on the makeup, like those scenes to me were drags. Yep. I agree. I agree. Now again, moon age
1: daydream does this much better in my opinion yeah strangely because it does introduce a few more of those like enigmatic qualities that make bowie who he is like like make him interesting to like someone like me who, who does kind of like the david bowie persona not as much as bob dylan but right enough to want to explore the character but yeah this is just kind of like backstage he's just you know like just chatting away like oh I, I guess we gotta put the makeup on now like oh let me see the outfit and that's you know, there's not a lot interesting to like Bowie being naked as opposed to Bob Dylan being naked, which is just really
0: fascinating. Yeah. Those are the most interesting parts yes. of all of the other documentaries. Mm-hmm. The in-between is the best. Yeah. And, and this um, is just kind of there. Yeah. It's, it's kind of just like it's it's insignificant. They, yeah, I agree. I it agree. feels obligatory and, and insignificant. And yeah, I think there is also something about him the more you know it's like the the less interesting he becomes he's he's more interesting as a figure and an icon i actually think that's why he's such a good actor and why like he's really, oh, he's really interesting in all of the lynch stuff and even in the prestige right like yeah he's good in the prestige when he is performing when he is theatrical he's like lady gaga in this way like he is most interesting when he is in theater mode mm-hmm. and i think that's why his fans for the most part are like young women kind of Offbeat, like here's actually the big takeaway: the performances are good, right? Like, oh, they're great. They're phenom- they, I, You can't
1: really, that's, I, if I'm to say anything. I mean, most of the, this movie is the performances. There's very, there's actually very few backstage yeah. uh, uh, intermissions and whatnot. Yeah. Um. And those performances that we see are, yeah, they're phenomenal. Yeah. Uh. So there's if there's any reason to watch the documentary, it's that.
0: Yeah. But but there's a lot of shots of the crowd, and, and that's not necessarily the case in in the other Penny Baker movies, but. He shows you a lot of the the groupies. And I think it's just out of necessity. Like, they just didn't have enough usable concert footage. And it's mostly young women. And they're not, like, jamming out. They're not, like, you know, rocking their heads back and forth like they're at a punk show, right? Like, they are possessed, mm-hmm. you know? They're singing along, kind of, but they're also, like, sobbing and, like, trying to reach out and touch him. And it's, like, this very, like, demonic is not the right word. But they're possessed. Like, it's like the exorcist seeing these young women. It's like swooning over the
1: Messiah or something like that. They, no, it's just like, idol him. worship. They know? love him. They, like, love him. They're obsessed with him. This is the guy that's going to bring them to a higher state of being. It's yeah. kind of like that. Right. Yeah, but they're not into him as a musician they're
0: into him as this
1: character as, person- and as this figure right and they say that occasionally throughout the doc they just they just think he's marvelous
0: they just right. love him yeah and that's kind of what i mean when i'm like he's not one of my guys it's just cuz i don't feel like i'm learning about him through his music as much as i'm learning about like the culture or his character or his persona and that was the thing like i'm watching this and i'm like i'm learning a lot about the ziggy stardust character and about the era and about his fans yeah and I don't feel like I've really discovered that much about him. And the stuff that I have discovered about him, I was underwhelmed and bored by, you
1: know? He is very good at dodging conflict. Um, and you get that out of Moon Age Daydream. Now, again, like I said, you, if you want the David Bowie persona, you can watch that. And I think it does a really good job and it makes him more interesting. But it's not zippy. It's not fun in the traditional sense. It's 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 captivating. But any every chance he gets, like he, he'll he'll try to like take the air out of it in a very peaceful manner, not that much conflict, and that's not always as
0: interesting. Again, the performances in this are undeniable, and uh, his guitarist Mick Ronson incredible uh, is incredible. Yeah. Again, like there's this weird like sexual component to a lot of these numbers too, and he's really going out on a limb with his guitar playing, and all of that shit is awesome. <laughs> and I also happen to like the look of this movie, like. A it's lot of it is by accident, but it is a unique, one-of-a-kind viewing experience. It, it absolutely is, yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just not one of my guys. That's all. Do you not like David Bowie's music? I like it fine. Yeah, I like the hits fine. Um, you know, I like Changes a lot. I, I found the performance of Changes in this to be a little limp. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little flaccid in the words of uh, of Thomas Shepard but
1: he's he. that's the other thing about him too as a live performer it's it is it is very different from his actual recordings so
0: you think it pales in comparison to Moon Age Daydream I don't want to
1: say that I mean it, maybe that's unfair but yeah. they're very they're completely different movies yeah. that's the thing I mean like that movie is doing the sort of weird, highly experimental documentary format that Brett Morgan was doing with a montage of Heck.
0: That movie
1: That's the Cobain one, right? Yeah, yeah. Without without the animations,
0: but Yeah. I like the idea of that movie. As I watched it, I I wasn't really into it though. Like it just bothered. It made me feel gross. Like it's a very gross
1: movie. Oh yeah. I mean well you should probably feel gross if you're in the mind of Kurt Cobain sure
0: I mean yes it is effective at that that's the whole that's what it's doing that's all it's doing I found like the home video footage to be very invasive the animations are beautiful Mm -hmm. but yeah it just made me feel icky that movie like Like, I didn't come out of that like inspired by the the romance between Courtney Love and Cobain like Mm -hmm. I felt like really bad about their marriage and their whole dynamic and everything as you probably should Right. I think I think it did its job. No, it did. (laughs) No, it's one of those movies like I respect it, but I don't I don't love it.
1: it, it, Well, it's 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 not a pleasant watch. Now, again, I don't think it's trying to be a pleasant watch, but yeah, yeah, I I don't know. It depends on what your poison is in this case. Sure. (laughs) Uh, I think you can you'll come out of Moon Age Daydream a a little more uplifted just because David Bowie is a more uplifting figure than Kurt Cobain. Yeah. But it is a similar kind of strange lull that it does for you.
0: Yeah, It's funny. Bowie, again, growing up, never one of my guys. It clicked for me when he died and he put out the final album, Black Star. That was the one album where, it, you know, it's like late Johnny Cash records or yeah. whatever. Like you hear the life on the guy's voice and it's like the definitive statement, like before I go, mm. you know, to be played upon, you know, my death or whatever. No one knew he had cancer this was like his goodbye that he wrote to the world or whatever and it finally felt like the facade broke down. Mm-hmm. Like, I, in Lady Gaga, it's, I don't mean to keep harping on this comparison, but she, to me, is like the person that is carrying the torch now t- for a, a new generation. But, like, when she did Stars Born, like, the same thing sort of clicked. You got it. Yeah. Like, I just felt like, oh, okay, we took off the meat dress, like, we just, we stripped this down and that all has its purpose, right? Like, I, oh, I yeah. totally yeah, get certainly. it yeah. in the abstract, but like, I want to see you without the makeup. I want to see you without the the outfits or whatever. I just want to see the raw, authentic you. Mm -hmm. And for me, yeah, like that happened really late. I really didn't get into Bowie until after he died. Interesting, Um, yeah. But no, this is a good movie. Uh, I agree with you. It's probably the weakest on the list. There's a simple doctrine outside of a, a person's love
1: the most sacred thing that they can give is their labor. And somehow
0: or another, along the way, we tend to forget that. And labor is a very precious thing that you have. And any time that you can combine labor with love, you've made a a merger. And I think we're gonna win tomorrow. And I think that the governor is gonna fulfill his promise and change America. And I think many of you are gonna go on and help him. I'm a political professional. That's what I do for a living. I'm proud of it.
1: We changed the way campaigns are (laughs) run.
0: 1993, the movie is called The War Room. A documentary of the Bill Clinton 1992 presidential campaign and the organization who ran it. It was nominated for Best Documentary in 1993. Did not win. The... Major two players here are uh, James the Raging Cajun Carville and George Stephanopoulos, who I think now, if you are a, a follower of the news, you know Carville is like the old corpse. They trot out on CNN every once in a while to comment on a presidential campaign. And Stephanopoulos is now the head anchor at ABC. But back in the day, once upon a time, they were running the Clinton campaign. A couple of motherfuckers, these Changing guys. Changing the game. Yeah, intense dudes. This is, this is not even a nitpick. This is kind of just like an observation about this movie. Because again, <laughs> the uh, one of the things we've been talking about a lot on this pod is how subversive Penny Baker is and how he likes to show people in not necessarily a negative light, but in a not- perfectly polished and pretty Well, i I think he goes
1: you know it sounds like a cliche with documentarians but i think he really is fascinated with the honesty of and all the little nitty gritty details it doesn't necessarily matter if it's you know laudatory or very very
0: critical of these people sure you know and you know this movie does that it does right like it shows you you know the jennifer flowers scandal it shows you Stephanopoulos and Carville dragging this woman through the mud and like accusing her of lying or whatever like it shows you a scene uh, like a harrowing scene of George Stephanopoulos threatening and kind of bribing or I'm not sure exactly what he's doing but I guess there was a Ross Perot aide that called him with some story and he essentially we saw how the sausage
1: was made you'll never work in politics again that kind of stuff yes if you do this you will never work in politics again yeah
0: so you see all that stuff But the way the movie ends, it gives you this Carville emotional monologue. He gives a speech at the war room saying, like, this is the most important thing I've ever been a part of. And, like, the one thing you can give that is more valuable than your love is your labor and how much he loves politics. And this kind of predates... The West Wing, and I guess it also predates the American president, but, like, it predates that Aaron Sorkin, like, starry-eyed vision of democratic politics and, you know, the importance of doing the work and governing in a moral way. And I'm just like, that's so not Penny Baker. And it's the one time in his movies where, like, he gives you the fucking the mushy vision of the future.
1: Are you kind of worried he's like taking sides in a way? Kind
0: of. Yeah. yeah. And I guess it's like, maybe that is the necessity of this kind of movie, but,
1: but you wanted him to do that, you know, like what he did and don't look back. It's like after everyone's clapped for James Carville, they cut away before he does the speech. Yeah. Kind of like that.
0: Yeah. I don't. Right. And maybe not though. Maybe it's, just, th- it's weird to me. Cause like politics is the easiest thing to satirize. Sure. Yeah, for some reason, he is more... Sit, satirization is not the right word, but, like, it's the easier thing to kind of pick apart and take the piss out of.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he but. does that
0: in all of his music documentaries and he kind of pulls some punches in the political one, and I just think it's interesting. That's because it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you got to
1: remember, this comes out in 93? Yeah. 93. Yeah. At this point in time, maybe he's just a different person. Maybe he's a different type of documentarian. Sure. I don't expect him to be the same one that he was in 67, for God's sakes. Right. So it's, it's not a bad thing. I kind of agree it's more interesting than anything. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm glad that speech is in the documentary. It's a great sequence. Right. Again, I guess maybe that's just the bottom line. Like if the speech works on screen, you got to use it. Yeah, it's it's like how I I can imagine being in that edit room. You have to have some serious balls to say, you know what? Cut it. (laughs) Sure. Throw it on the floor. Like, oh, God, no. Yeah. It's a hard thing to do. I don't think I'd be able to do it either. And maybe (laughs) listen, I also don't think a movie like this would get made today. Hell no. This is the most interesting thing about the the movie by far, because I think. As with all of his movies, it's amazing that no one acknowledges the fucking camera ever. Right. I love that. It's like, how is it just like he's a ghost?
0: I don't yeah. get it. I don't understand this right. at all. And, and like but the stakes are high here. Very high. How, you know, this is not just like Dylan's buddy throwing a glass bottle in the streets. Well, I kept expecting people to be like, get that
1: camera out of here. Like that, because I'm so conditioned for like that to happen, like in my news The world. Ross Perot phone call. It's like, I know. how did he not <laughs> tell know, him I to know. put the camera down? That's just what we've grown up in. Sure. We've never really known anything different. So the fact that. They're just so like, oh, yeah, don't, uh, you're, you're not even here. That made no sense to me. Mm-hmm. And goddamn, was it so fat Like, I love a documentary where I'm like, why are they showing this? Yeah. Why are they allowed to get away with this? I couldn't believe it. Right. And it kind of puts you on edge in a really fun way. It's not like the kind of movie that I'm like biting my nails at all, like the political conspiracy or, or evil that's going on. It's just like these fucking... Con, maybe not con men but like these guys who know how to play the game right like yeah it's it's petty more than anything yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah yeah it's not it's not deep yeah.
0: throw in the no, parking garage no, right no, no. it is like and that's the thing about politics like I, I know people that that work in politics and uh, one of the things that I, I've learned over the years is that it's about throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks like it's about grasping at straws and you know that's what I think about when they discover what is it they printed campaign flyers in Brazil or something, and that might have been a violation of campaign finance. Even oh. though, like, no one gives a fuck about campaign finance. Like, we're learning that now with the Trump Stormy Daniels thing. Like, no one gives a shit. Yeah, so it's like any little tiny thing that could potentially sway a few voters. And so, like, it's this bad. whole scene of like Carvel uh-huh. thinking, like, oh, I think we might have something here, and he calls like ABC or whatever, and and tries getting oh, the story is picked a great- up. <laughs> it's a great scene, <laughs> it's but a- it's like they're grasping at straws. Like, this is like really petty mundane shit like their jobs are it's mudslinging
1: right yeah exactly they get very caught up in the fun that they are having too where it's just like I like like in those scenes where Carville's on the phone call and he wants a quick answer and he wants a quick instant gratification and he's pissed that he doesn't get it Mm. and even then his guys are like dude this stuff doesn't get approved to like three days at the minimum. What do you What are you talking about? And he's just like, "All right, you're right. I, I, I'm a hoss. I'm a hoss.
0: You're right. Okay."
1: <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> it just reminds you to not take this
0: shit too seriously. Yeah, that is the thing about uh, about these guys. And I think like it's it's ninety two, right? Like it's been two years of Reagan and one year of HW, and like you know, it's just been Republican domination for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And and there was this mentality. There was a shift in Democratic politics where. It's just like, fuck it. Put Bill Clinton on the Arsenio Hall show. Have him play saxophone or whatever. Like, let's go after a young voter. Right. Like Ross Perot is running third party. It's the first time in like almost a century that a third party candidate has been viable in an election. So I think part of it was just it was not as calculated as some of the modern presidential runs. Where they're just like, yeah, you want to put your crew in? Sure, whatever. They Let didn't know Penny what they Baker were doing. film it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they didn't
1: know what they were doing. I mean, that's that that that's visually perfectly illustrated by the first shot of Bill Clinton in this movie. Yeah, he's just sitting around in fucking gym shorts and a Short. in a dirty T shirt on the phone. He looks so <laughs> slovenly. Yeah, I'm just like, who is this fucking guy? And no, no one. If they didn't know any better, they would not assume that's the president or soon sure. to be president. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's 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 definitely a movie that's capturing a moment of like guys we're we're chugging along until we hopefully get to the finish fake it till you make it that's all this is
0: yes <laughs> exactly right but meanwhile you got these two guys who are compelling in different ways like you know stephanopoulos is more the the young ambitious kind of like ivy league grad or whatever yeah kind of the mediator of the bunch yeah well he's you know he's he's more calculated He he doesn't talk as freely as carville does but like he's buttoned up you know yes very Even with the haircut, the outfit, or whatever, like Mm -hmm. there's a young ambition to him. Whereas Carvel is like this old chiseled vet that has run campaigns all across the country. He's won a lot and he's lost a lot more. Doesn't give a fuck
1: at the end of the day. And
0: he's just this fucking legend, right? Who's just like improvising concession speeches and, you know, coming up with talking points on the fly. And some of the Carvelisms in this are incredible. (laughs) What did he do in Iran? How the hell am I supposed to know? How he's like, uh, uh, you know, if someone farts the word draft, it gets picked up in the papers. I
1: just
0: love it. <laughs> this guy, a whole
1: movie. It's just this guy. I mean, it's great. It's so good. Again, just a wonderful character. Yeah, I can't get enough of James Carville in yeah. this. Uh,
0: my father and I are um, fond of uh, doing a Carville impression when we say the word careful. I don't know how this started, but my father, for some reason, latched on to James Carville, saying careful. So now every time like I do something dangerous or there's a risk involved he mm-hmm. goes careful. Careful.
1: <laughs> careful careful
0: careful careful careful
1: Again, the luck, right? Like, yeah. Again, deadly duo. I just love these two, and it it, it really is the whole movie. I mean, th- there's some other interesting stuff, I guess, but the movie is entirely, like I said earlier, them just wagging the dog. That's it,
0: right? Yeah. They, uh, you know, they called the Perot campaign, they called the Bush campaign, they called the Clinton campaign, the other two just rejected them instantly, and the Clinton campaign was the only one that was like, "Yeah, all right, come on, you can film us, that's cool." Yep. And they won the election too, so you get this incredible ending. At Holy the end. shit. Also, you you got the budding relationship between Carvel and Mary Madeline the republican strategist I, they get married i just love that relationship yes yeah, they, and they, they're still
1: married i know i know it's so fun i was watching clips of them i'm like this does not make any sense to me but god is it the they most, don't talk politics at home it's the most endearing fucking thing i've ever seen <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah it's it, like yeah. the platonic ideal of the you know kellyanne conway george conway uh, thing <laughs> <laughs> like the somehow thing they ever. make it work mm-hmm. because they are such incredible strategists right like For them, politics is a game, and they are so good at playing the game. And they love in each other and admire in each other their ability to play the game. Yep. You know, above and beyond policy.
1: At the end of the day, it's mostly just the game. Policy is a small
0: percentage of what politics actually is. Yeah. So uh, And so, in a way, like, the movie... It is quietly subversive just by showing the sausage get made, right? The
1: fact that we don't see a lot of Bill Clinton is is quite evident of the fact that this is is most of the story anyway.
0: Sure. Yeah. This is who's actually running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Bill Clinton is not running. He is the poster child of this. Yeah. It's funny now, like... Clinton has embraced this movie. There have been re-releases of this he movie. Does? Oh yeah, I mean, like, and again, Stephanopoulos gets the ABC head anchor job. Carvel is this beloved icon of of American politics of Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. It's just funny to me how times have changed. Yeah, you can't make this movie. You can't make this movie anymore, and you yeah. would not tell it in such a optimistic, starry eyed way, and like mm-hmm. faith in governance. You know, faith in our institutions is so out of fashion. But, you know, that's a, that was a lovely time when at least maybe it wasn't true, but we at least believed it in 1992.
1: Again, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It was really fascinating watching this because I'm like, this is so alien to me. And I kept thinking about, like, what is the modern equivalent? What could they show now that would
0: be anything like this? I just, yeah. There was a Mitt Romney one. It was heavily massaged. I remember watching it being like, okay, this is clearly a, a puff piece. Yep. And obviously the Anthony Weiner one. Yeah, that was my next question. I was like, I guess it's the Weiner thing, but that's highly critical. But that's like yeah. a Shakespearean tragedy, yeah. yeah. Like you are seeing the uh, the downfall of this man. But it is also hilarious. Oh, it's hysterical. So that's, yeah. the, <laughs> that's, that's the difference. One of my favorite documentaries ever. <laughs> so I, I guess, love that. Movie.
1: And it's similar here. It's like it, it. It the only the lightness comes in the fact that they're both very funny movies. These are both very funny movies. So.
0: Yeah, it's both earnest and optimistic. That's the thing. Like I never mm-hmm. feel like. Any of this is dishonest or untrue. True, yeah. You know? it, it, well, it, it would be more of a
1: problem if they lost, I think. But the fact maybe, that the yeah. fact that they win this thing is is like maybe Penny Bigger felt like he had the freedom to go there because that is the story. All oh, right, I can give it a happy end, isn't now. it? Yeah, I mean yeah. that's the story. Right. It'd be dishonest for him to be like it's still all fucked up. It's like I don't know at this point in time. That's he is someone that loves to capture the mood of the time. So to go against it in that way might have been a little disingenuous. I don't know, but. Okay, um, oh man, this is a stacked fucking list. It's a two horse race for me. I think I have my
0: winner still, but ugh, yeah. okay. So y- you uh, have "Don't Look Back" and "Company." Yes, I do. It's got to be "Don't Look Back" for me. I mean, that like <laughs> it is the most important movie on the list. Yes, it is easily. Uh, yeah. Probably the most iconic. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's fucking it's Dylan, dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> like what do you want me to say? What's, what's like, my argument?
1: It's Dylan. It's Dylan.
0: <laughs> Fuck yeah, off, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, I would probably agree.
0: I'm not really like I know guy. it's time too, but
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I mean, I mean, I like that we talked about it. And I like that it's here because I was very surprised to hear that it was not like this well-known beloved thing. Right. It's, I think for me, it's easily the second best. The Dylan was far more interesting to me, though. I just give it to fucking Dylan because if he needs more awards yeah.
0: John is in the basement mixing up medicine <laughs> I'm on the pavement thinking about the government but you only got 10 <laughs> all right not bad not too bad good topic right yeah pretty good topic cool uh, we'll see you next week take it easy <laughs>
1: peace